Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we're delighted to bring you the first of our case studies, where we take a closer look at some of the cases that pertain to employment law, HR, and the world of work. And what better case to kick us off than the recent well-publicized case in which a sales executive was awarded a record-breaking fee for compensation as ordered by the WRC. And to take a closer look at this case, we're delighted to be joined by Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very well, Owen. Thank you. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. So let's jump right in. And I suppose, look, this case is very well publicized. I think a lot of our listeners, followers would have seen it in the news, a very, very big one. That's, that was definitely newsworthy. So I suppose, Liam, can you give us a, an overview of the case? What were the circumstances? What happened? Yeah, sure, Owen. And I think you're absolutely right. It has certainly caught a lot of media attention um, over the last number of weeks. The, the case involved essentially a, a salesperson within a software firm and the WRC um, essentially awarded almost um, 330,000 euros uh, for the employee who was dismissed on the basis of bullying allegations. Um, now, the, the adjudicator, Mr. Brefley O'Neill, um, basically said on that the, the sanction was entirely disproportionate to what had occurred. And he also found that the, the process involved was substantially unfair. So not only was the, the, the sanction handed down, i.e. dismissal, um, seen to be disproportionate. The, the entire process he found to be substantially flawed in terms of the, the company's approach. And I suppose there's a number of, of things to, to highlight from, from our perspective. Essentially, it's one of the largest awards I can ever remember from the Workplace Relations Commission in terms of the award, which was, I think, calculated almost at, at two years remuneration. And, and it was one of the things that the adjudicator took into account was uh, the very high level of performance of the individual employee over a prolonged period of time that the employee had been promoted on, on a number of occasions and was, was uh, a high earner within the organization, but also the challenges that the employee would have had finding a similar um, role within, within industry. Um, so that was very, very um, very much highlighted, I suppose. Another thing to take out of it is the entire process which organizations undertake in terms of if an issue arises. And I suppose Mary and I would be on the same page in terms of typically if an issue arises that one would try to address it through a performance management cycle or a non-disciplinary cycle if one can. And it's only where there are really extremely serious issues, um, which I suppose aren't recoverable or addressable through the performance management cycle that that you would engage within the the disciplinary process and i suppose the final two points are you know looking at the whole area of procedural fairness and proportionality and 
even if there is you know a substantive issue which needs to be addressed and there is procedural fairness it's always a requirement on for an for an employer for a reasonable employer to consider proportionality and i think all of the evidence over the last you know two years or so has told us uh, that from a proportionality point of view unless there's a really really serious issue which goes to the heart of the employment relationship and almost ir- irrevocably damages the trust that an employer would be required to have in an employee or if there's a serious health and safety issue which might compromise the safety and well-being of employees or members of the public i think a, an employer is almost well well served to issue a final written warning rather than the, than i suppose the the last resort of of a dismissal and i think those those points are being heavily heavily emphasized in this particular finding and you mentioned procedure there a couple of times even i think that was probably the the big thing in this case so was there certain things missing was there any kind of obvious mistake there from the i suppose the employer's side of things yeah i i, I think on in our cases and when we review things often we find a rush to judgment and I think we find that you know employers don't pause for breath and take time and consider things and consider whether you know behavior and 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 the adjudicator did find that the the particular employee did engage in some inappropriate behaviors in his interaction with his his two colleagues. Um, so that said, I think an employer would look at it and say, well, look, can we rectify the behavior? Can we address the behavior? Can we challenge the behavior safely without having to instigate disciplinary action? So if there is behavior and, and conduct, um, you know, can we address it without having to use the disciplinary procedure? Can we use coaching? Can we use training? Can we use a performance management cycle? Um, other examples of where maybe the process broke down was that there didn't seem to be a separation in terms of the investigatory stage and the disciplinary stage. And I think they found that the one of the directors was involved and couldn't be considered to be entirely impartial or independent. Um, so therefore, I suppose, in terms of the process, I suppose it's clearly looking at and reading your, your process and your procedure and ensuring that you follow it to, to the letter. Um, it's ensuring that you're reasonable and fair and that any decision you take falls within the band of reasonableness for any employer and I, I think and it's something we covered in our previous webinar I know on uh, was the whole area of the separation of ha- and having different people at different stages of the process so if there is as there was in this case an investigatory process that there is someone held back for a potential uh, disciplinary process and or uh, an appeal process and certainly we, we would very much be of the view as I said I think on the, the last webinar that you have individuals who are trained to do an investigation they do the investigation they come up with the report and they hand it on to the disciplinary panel if so needed the disciplinary panel hold the disciplinary hearing and take the appropriate action if required if any action is required against the employee and then there's a separate appeal process which looks fairly and independently at the appeal being brought forward by the particular employee and i think if lessons are to be learned, and it's always a good learning point for, for employers, I suppose it's one, prevention is better than cure. In an ideal scenario, and Mary, I'm sure there wouldn't be any employers who would have to, to discipline any employees at all. Um, unfortunately, it should be rare, and it should only be after, I suppose, where performance management 
systems or processes haven't been used to address the, the matter in, in question and where the disciplinary process does have to be used, that it's used fairly and that there's objectivity and impartiality and that the employer, I suppose, keeps certain sections um, distinct and that there's a fairness throughout the process. And I think that there's a lot that, that employers can use within this judgment. And I, I know even from talking to people this morning, Owen, I've spoken to a few people following our recent uh, webinar and they were certainly scared in terms of some of the, the, this particular case and also our webinar in terms of highlighting the separation between investigation, disciplinary and appeal process. And I think that's a lot of things, a number of things that employers will learn arising out of this case. Definitely. And I think with, with an outcome so big as well, there's a lot of things we can we can definitely learn from it. So Mary, just on the outcome itself. So can you talk to us a bit more about the outcome? I suppose 329,000 euros, that's a, that's a hefty award, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it represented 75% of the workers' financial loss over the two years. So clearly, this particular employee struggled to find employment once he was actually dismissed for uh, bullying uh, in the workplace. And um, one of the comments that struck me by uh, Brefney O'Neill um, were that, you know, in a niche sector, in a city, in a very small country where both employers and recruitment agencies are easily known to each other and um, that this would have fundamentally affected his ability to find work. And when it comes to the WRC making awards and calculating the loss of the individual, they will often be looking at that period of time that it takes for somebody to find work. And certainly in this situation where the employee in question was very senior, uh, his ability to find another job at the same level, um, you know, the adjudicator felt, you know, it was entirely reasonable that he wasn't able to do so. Um, you know, the adjudicator is quite harsh here in terms of the criticism of the company. And one of the things that he draws attention to uh, is that the uh, VP uh, and the people operations manager had repeatedly referred to uh, the importance of the culture and values uh, of their organization and the importance of respect um, that they placed in terms of their justification, I guess, for uh, dismissing this particular employee. And actually, Mr. O'Neill was very clear in saying that he saw that uh, the decision to terminate the employment as a lack of decency, humanity and dignity shown to the um, complainant and described it as deplorable. So, you know, that is pretty harsh. And again, while the award is huge, um, it is based on the actual earnings of the individual. The censoring or, you know, public um, commentary made by Brefney O'Neill about this case is also a lesson uh, for employers because 
in an organization where I'm 100% sure the people operations partner is probably doing stellar work in terms of um, the organization and, and the engagement and the motivation of employees. But I guess they were full sure that they had reasonable grounds to terminate the employment uh, of this individual for his behavior over the period of a month. What they failed to take into consideration um, was the period of Ramadan and uh, the fact that the employee was Muslim and was practicing uh, Ramadan during that period. And uh, again, were criticized that they didn't consider those mitigating factors. Brefney O'Neill also went on to say that, um, you know, the comments were similar a month earlier and that he hadn't even received a verbal warning uh, at that point in time for those comments made. And again, uh, questioned, I suppose, the severity of their response um, a month later. What had changed? What had happened? Why did they feel they were in a position to do this? So I think they're, you know, unfortunately for that particular software firm, uh, they absolutely have egg on their face. Um, the award is huge. The publicity won't be doing them any good. Um, I'm sure internally for those involved in the process, there may be criticism. Um, and so there are big lessons for, I suppose, HR, the people profession in terms of understanding what it is they must do in circumstances like this that arise um, in the organization. And as Liam very clearly pointed out, you must have that separation between those managing performance, those involved in the investigation, those involved in the disciplinary process and those involved in the appeal. And you really have to think right at the outset, what, what people am I going to use and how many people am I actually going to need? So if you think about it, you're, you know, in terms of managing performance, yes, that can be done one-on-one -on -one between uh, the manager and the employee, certainly at the informal stages. When it comes to the disciplinary process, you certainly need two people. So we're at three that we need right now at the moment. Then you're looking at, um, you know, who you would have for the discipline process itself. You probably need uh, someone to chair the meeting and a note taker present. Uh, so we've now risen to five people, five separate people that you need. And then when it comes to the appeal, you certainly need one or two people at that point. So look at the number of people that need to be involved and the level of planning an organization needs to do right at the earliest stages to ensure that they're not criticized in this kind of way in the future. Yeah, I think it's clear from talking to yourselves, obviously, initially when I saw the story come out and from now talking further to yourselves about it, there's definitely a lot of layers to it as well, Mary, isn't there? I think what are, I suppose the clear kind of policies and procedures that are kind of providing the foundations to this case, really, it kind of goes back to what you're saying there. It's really that investigation process leading into disciplinary, leading into appeals, that kind of thing, isn't it? Isn't it that kind of one thing, that one policy and procedure that kind of underpins this, if they had got that right, things could have been a lot different. Would that be the case? It's, it's 
about reasonableness as much as anything else, I think. And I think a lot of the criticisms of that particular firm and the procedures that they applied uh, came back to that whole fundamental question of, you know, was it reasonable in the circumstances for them to take the entire approach that they took? So like Liam says, would they have been better to sit down with the employee informally and try and understand what was happening, uh, guide and advise, coach and mentor, set out what the employee needed to do? Would they have been better putting in place a performance improvement process uh, pre-disciplinary action? Um, should they have carried out an investigation? Um, should they have, you know, gone through a more robust disciplinary process and an appeals process? The devil is always in the detail. The, the published case is often different from the reality of the, um, I suppose, efforts made by employers. The paper trail is hugely, hugely important, and I cannot emphasize that enough. At every stage, of the process, you need to have a clear paper trail about what it is you're doing and why, why you decided to terminate the employment of someone rather than consider a lesser sanction. What was the logic behind that decision? If you're not able to produce your documentation um, at the WRC, making statements about the culture and values of the organization and how important they are and how this person had urged or behaved badly himself and, and in effect had uh, departed from the acceptable norms of behavior within the organization. That was their argument in effect. That's what they were trying to say had happened um, and tried to defend themselves by using that. And in effect, that, get turned, that got turned on them uh, and they were criticised for even using it as some form of defence. And look, I think the big question, obviously, from all of this is what can HR teams, companies take from this case? And I know you've alluded to a couple of them there, but I'd like to dig a bit deeper with, with both of you, if you don't mind. So Liam, I suppose from your kind of point of view, I know you've kind of mentioned a couple already, but what do you think are some of the, the key things HR teams, our listeners can kind of take from this judgment? Um, I think Mary touched on one of them on is, is the whole investigatory stage, um, you know, and who's carrying out the investigation? Are there terms of reference? Uh, what's actually being investigated? And Mary and I would have had experience where we reviewed investigation reports, which have been... Um, you know, prepared, and we're reading through it, and we're kind of thinking, well, what's actually being investigated? Or you come to a set of findings, and the findings aren't actually relevant to the terms of reference that's been set out at the start. So I, I really do think um, HR teams could, you know, either one, get expertise from someone like ourselves in terms of the, the actual physical implementation and carrying out of a workplace investigation, or training for line managers or people within the organization themselves to carry out an effective workplace investigation. Because in the WRC, if you have an effective workplace investigation report, your case is a lot better defended. 
Um, so I definitely think the investigatory stage and an understanding of setting out the terms of reference, sharing the information, sending it in draft form to the, the employee just makes things a lot clearer. I think within the dis- potential disciplinary phase, again, HR can't within the organization can't do everything. They can't be the investigator, the disciplinary person and hearing the appeal. In many cases, there's only one person within the HR department. So training um, organizations um people on their own policies and procedures and providing some training on you know what to say what to do the basics in terms of the right to representation due process natural justice um adhering to a fair process and and very much within that at all stages on i'd say not a rush to judgment so sometimes when we first arrive on the scene we think okay this is extremely serious Again, within the the um, the case that we're looking at, I think the adjudicator, or certainly I think it was the, the worker who was represented by his solicitor, argued that robust and coarse language was part of the workplace culture. So was it actually part of the workplace culture? Was very, dare I say it, agricultural language used quite liberally within the organization? And, you know, did anyone actually look at that? Um, and so if that was the case, then surely the organization should have tried to address that culturally uh, rather than maybe isolating one one particular individual. Um, so I think within HR departments, I'd be looking at investigatory procedures. I'd be maybe looking at contracting in expertise in one particular case if it arises and then learning from that or training um, line managers on it. Disciplinary procedures on handing a disciplinary procedure to a line manager 24, 48 hours before he or she goes into a disciplinary procedure uh, can be very shocking and can be very, can cause a very nervous reaction from even very senior line managers. So they need training and coaching and support. And then the final stage would be the, the appeal process and maybe looking externally for that because I think it helps, helps you from a, a workplace relations point of view. And, and in my experience, on what one of the final things I'd say is learning to detach yourself emotionally from it and just because I think, and I think it's a point Mary made very, very validly, you know, just picking up the phone and ringing someone and saying, look, I've got a situation. Here's what we're proposing to do. Can you take 24, 48 hours and look at it and just give me a bit of objective advice? Because very often the director, the HR manager um, is involved in the case. And sometimes you need to take yourself out of the case or get an independent external set of eyes and ears to look at it. Um, I think that's very important. And I think many of the cases that Mary and myself would have come across, if only someone had picked up the phone, if only and had said, well, look, we'll hold off. We won't make a decision for 24, 48 hours. Um, we'll have a think about it. And, and we'll consider all the options. Uh, I think organizations and people within organizations would save themselves a huge amount of bother if they took that approach. So I think there are definitely things that, that HR departments can, can learn. Yeah, I think, I suppose, Mary, as we said, there's so many layers to this, there's so many different factors. I think another, I suppose, thing that HR, can teams, HR teams can take from this is just being cognizant of all those kind of many different factors, not just your process, but things like, in this case, in particular, things like Ramadan, other kind of cultural factors. There's so much that goes with him, isn't there? 
Absolutely, Owen. I, I think Liam's advice is very important. I often see HR people going it alone without the full knowledge of how to actually conduct these processes properly and correctly in a way that avoids litigation. So, you know, picking up the phone and speaking to somebody who knows what they're doing early saves a hell of a lot of money. And whether that's an employment lawyer or a HR consultancy or a HR advisor, you know, choose carefully. I'm sure that whoever you're talking to knows what they're actually talking about. And don't go it alone unless you have particularly robust experience in handling and managing disciplinary processes. Um, often the organization looks to HR to, you know, deal with these things, to guide and advise around these things. And if the HR function or the people function isn't sufficiently independent um, when it comes to managing these processes, uh, then they can find themselves in hot soup quite quickly um, when it gets to to it. And, you know, in, or in circumstances where you have the uh, people operations partner saying that they, you know, value um, culture and, and place a great emphasis on their values and at the same time we hear that robust language is commonplace within the organization there are things that hr can do to tackle those kind of issues so when you have a culture uh, where robust language is used uh, lean refers to it as agricultural language and i hope it doesn't offend any of our uh, listeners who may be in agri businesses out there um, it doesn't matter what nature of business you're in whether it's uh, it software uh, agriculture construction um, health, whatever the sector, robust language can often be misinterpreted. Um, it can often lead to offence. And HR, if they're aware of robust, robust language being used within the business, really ought to do something about it. Um, and it's probably not good enough to say this is part of our culture um, because that kind of language can easily cause offence. The other thing I would say is if you're not sure about what you're doing, um, to outsource the investigation can often bring a bit of sanity to a situation. So, you know, we, we carry out a lot of investigations at Insight HR, and we're not always giving the organization what they actually want when the report comes back to them. In terms of sometimes we may not believe that there's a case to answer and there's no evidence to support um, either a move towards the disciplinary process or for, you know, a really severe sanction like termination of employment. But that report and that process helps an organisation defend its position when it comes to a really serious issue like bullying in the workplace. 
the new code of practice, and I call it new, even though it's um, over a year old at this stage, on bullying is very clear that there's a high bar when it comes to bullying um, and the repeated inappropriate nature of bullying, which is targeted at individuals, uh, must be present in order for an organization to prove that bullying has actually occurred. And one of the things that Brefney O'Neill also said in this particular case is that the examples were extremely vague um, of bullying, and yet this individual's employment was terminated on those grounds. So again, in HR, you must understand the basic definitions of bullying. You must understand what is too severe a sanction and um, if you're to avoid those kind of major awards. And so I would always say, if you don't have extensive experience in this area, um, you really need to talk to somebody who does, who can at least guide you and direct you uh, when it comes to handling these processes, even if your intention is to handle them in-house, even if you're limited in your budget. And, you know, sometimes we quote for um, investigations and, you know, somebody will come back to us and say they can't get the budget when they go to senior management they can't get the budget for the investigation and that they've been tasked or someone within the hr department has been tasked with the investigation instead it is still worth speaking to somebody about that process and maybe about the um conclusions you might be reaching or the findings that you might be coming to or the difference between what might be a fact and what might be an opinion. Because when we look at uh, investigation processes and disciplinary processes, um, we can find that they're absolutely riddled with opinions, which isn't really backed up by any fact, uh, and that conclusions have been drawn inappropriately based on the evidence at hand. So look, lots to think about, but thankfully, what it sounds like, lots we can we can do as well. I think a lot of our listeners out there want to see cases like this. Um, will immediately think, right? How can I prevent that from happening in my organisation? So it's great to hear those insights from from yourself and Liam. Um, so really appreciate that. Thank obviously to everyone for listening as well. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. We do always have our ear to the ground for cases like this. But if there's any cases or even topics that you'd like to hear us chat about in the future, make sure to reach out to us. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.e. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Mary. Thanks all. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Inside HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insidehr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR.
whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.